0: All right, tonight we go back to our study of the tabernacle. We started our study by looking at typology. We spent, what, two, maybe two hours, three hours looking at typology. We could have spent a lot longer. I didn't even cover probably even 10% of all my notes I had on top typology. But at some point I knew we needed to move on. Then we spent a considerable amount of time on the perpetual parentheses, which I still think may be, like, there's a part of me that at the conclusion of that was like, okay, we're done with our study of the tabernacle. We don't need to do anything else because we kind of really figured, like everybody wants to talk about typology. We kind of figured out if you're going to use typology where to use it, in a sense, because what we discovered is the discussion of the construction and the materials and the measurements and everything of the tabernacle appears where? In the book of Exodus, starting in which chapter? Let's at least make sure we have this. Everyone open their Bibles and find out where it starts in Exodus, the discussion about the building of the tabernacle. I can tell you it's not in the first 15 chapters, Okay, 20 chapters. <laughs> starts in 25, right? in 25, and in the middle of that, there's lots of chapters dedicated to it, right? Yeah. A lot of chapters. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, we have a number of chapters that stop talking about how to build the tabernacle, and they start talking about, what? Where are those chapters? 32 to 34. 32 to 34 and they start talking about? Uh, Idolatry, which is the perpetual problem because idolatry is perpetually in the human heart because the human heart is the idol, right? The human heart wants us to be the idol and everything else we look and obtain is there to serve and basically worship us, correct, okay? So we talked about that and then what we discovered is in this very horrible case of idolatry, there's discussions about how somehow to satisfy God, resolve this problem where God will dwell amongst them, right? And so there was all of these possible are solu- these solutions offered up to fix the problem? And we went through some of those, right? What were some of those solutions? What were some of those solutions? All of that. Yeah, the mediator, advocate, uh, all of those things, right? Everybody remember all of those things? Okay, all right. All of those things that we talked about because those things all then fit with what? The tabernacle. tabernacle. Okay, so therefore the tabernacle is designed to fix the problem. And when I say fix the problem, not to remove the idolatry of the heart because that's never removed, is it? I know that goes against modern Christian teaching, but it's not. The human heart is still an idol factory before salvation and after salvation. So does God set up the tabernacle to make the people better? No, He sets up the tabernacle knowing that people are horrible, but what's going to be provided for them? An advocate, a mediator, an intercessor, judgment upon sin, on atonement, we could go on and on, all those things. And all of that is provided in the tabernacle. And we said then, when we start looking at supposed typology of the tabernacle, we can start limiting it, right? And what we limited it is if the tabernacle are providing these very specific things, those very specific things is all fulfilled in Christ. So we look to those elements of the tabernacle that directly parallels the work of Christ. Because as the tabernacle was God dwelling in the midst of the people, providing all of these things so that sinful people could dwell with a holy God, Christ then tabernacles amongst us to do the very work of the tabernacle, but to do it in what way? A permanent way, right? Remember, that's the whole thing. The tabernacle, everything had to be repeated continually. So then Christ provides it permanently. Think of it this way, a permanent solution to a perpetual problem does that make sense so then we can see the parallel I cannot express to you like taking the time to see the importance of those chapters that serve as a parentheses in the chapters that talk about the construction of the tabernacle is the key to understanding the tabernacle right so I I I still like Oh, it's always sometimes frustrating because if I turn on, say I turn on the microphone and do a podcast and I talk about something controversial, then I get emails. But in this case, I think we, maybe the most important thing we've ever studied right there is understanding the entire tabernacle is found in chapters, not talking about the tabernacle, but they occur right in the middle of it, right? It's this parentheses. So I hope we understand that. Now, after we've done all of that, which I think has been important, I think has been interesting, now we're going to get to some parts that are not going to appear to be so exciting or so interesting. Because tonight we move into, and I keep putting it off because I know this is going to be difficult, but we're about to move into a lengthy discussion of basically the design, design and construction of the tabernacle. We're going to be talking about materials and measurements and just all of these things. And there's going to be a part of us that's going to say what? It's not important. And I understand that, right? Who cares? But I do know this. How many chapters are dedicated to the tabernacle in the Bible? 50. If there are 50 chapters, we may not think it's important. God thinks it's important because has more chapters than about baptism. More chapters than about the church. More chapters, I mean, that's, which is some, in some ways it just drives me crazy because, wait a minute, I need more chapters on those other subjects because those are the things that divide Christianity. But no, we only get a little bit there. But with this, we have 50 chapters dealing with it. So we're going to try to cover as many chapters as possible, All right, dealing with this. Now, some of these, for example... Numbers chapter 7. You don't want me doing verse by verse through Numbers chapter 7, ladies and gentlemen. That's 89 verses. 89 verses that they got a cart and carried this, but these people couldn't use a cart, and they gave this, and this person gave this, and this person gave this, and this person. But it isn't, it's all about the tabernacle. But 80. Nine verses, okay? So sometimes we're gonna just, I'm gonna try everything in my power to keep this so that we can move on, right? So that we get the basic idea. Now here's the challenge. I'm gonna, and this is gonna be on you, right? That what I'm going to do for each section where we look at may, maybe one part, one, whatever it is, I'm gonna, at the end of that, I'm gonna try to ask you, what, what is the one thing that you think jumps out, or what do you, what do you think is the most significant thing about that? thing, whatever it may be. That's going to be for you to figure out, right? Now, I'm not saying we're not going to create. We're not going to just all of a sudden go, oh, it's a spiritual picture of this, which what some people will do. We're just going to see what we think is there. If we see something significant, we will jump to it, but we're going to try to just say, does everyone understand it? And then hopefully you say, yep. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. And I'm going to also ask, so what's the one main thing we got from that? Okay. I am going to try to con- convince, or I'm going to try to control or look at the material, the design, the construction by utilizing at least two books, right? I'm going to use al- two books to try to control me to some level. The only problem is there are thousands of books on this subject, thousands. So it's always hard to go, well, which one? Which one do I go with? Because, oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. But I'm going to use two to try to keep us somewhat moving forward. So is everyone kind of ready for this as best as we can be? We're going to begin the design and construction. So let's start with this. When we start talking about the construction and the building of the tabernacle, I want us to start with this. Let's start first with some uh, just a basic information about the materials used. Right, the basic, some basic information about materials used. According to Wilmington's guide to the Bible, the various materials used, all right, in fact, what they, they typically break it down this way. Gold, silver, bronze, animal cloth, acacia wood, A-C-A-C-I-A, and onyx stones. That's like the, the basic materials gold, silver, bronze, animal cloth, acacia wood, and onyx stones. That's like he's summarizing it, bringing it down like to the basic, basic, basics. There could be something, I, and the only reason I'm saying that is so I'm gonna get an email going, well, you forgot this material. I'm, I'm talking, these are the basics, okay? If I'm missing one, then, we'll, if we stumble upon it, we'll, we'll add it to our list, okay? Those are ba- what are the basic building materials? Gold, silver, bronze, animal cloth, acacia wood, onyx stones, okay? Now, according to Wilmington, the various materials used, gold, this is his estimation, 3,140 pounds. 3,140 pounds. Silver, 9,575 pounds. Bronze, 7,540 pounds. Now, the main thing, he doesn't go into the rest, the animal cloth, the acacia wood of, Oh, he has all. He mentions olive oil here, so maybe we should add that there too. Okay, but uh, there's different spices, but the onyx stone. He doesn't mention those other things. He goes with the gold, silver, and bronze. Why do you think he he, he goes with the gold, silver, and bronze? Those are the things that would be worth a lot of money. Right, and to keep that in mind. So here's the basic materials, kind of some of the basic things about it. It took six months to build. According to at least one source, the time, actually two sources, the time of construction is about six months. The whole thing. The whole thing. Time of construction, six months. Now, here is the thing we want to see go to Exodus 25. Go to Exodus 25, because this is going to fit in perfectly a little bit with what we discussed this morning, right? Because there's something very important about the construction and the gathering of all of these materials. Are you ready? Exodus 25, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, They bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, You shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take uh, of them. Gold, silver, brass, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skin dyed red, badger skin and shittim wood. All right, that wasn't one thing listed, but that's okay. All right, I told you that those were giving us the basics. Do what? Okay, all right, same. Okay. All right. There we go. Okay. Good. All right. I was going to say that he didn't mention that one. Okay. But all right. If they're the same, then then okay. We're we're good. I'm just afraid that there's going to be something I missed and that someone's going to make a big deal out of it. So I'm trying to make sure I'm being as careful as I can. All right. Um. Let's see where what verse was that? Six. Okay. Uh. Okay. Or, uh, oh, that was five and then verse six. Oil for the light, spices for anointing, uh, oil and sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So this is very important. All of these materials that are very valuable, and a lot of them, were, were, they came about, they were provided by an offering of the people. And it was to be given willingly. Willingly. Willingly, all right. This is very, 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 very important. Okay, because now, th- because th- this, first of all, we, we this talks a lot about this morning, right? That our uh, that what the Bible seems to say over and over and over is our approach to material things is to be somewhat disconnected, disinterested, because we'll take whatever we have to give ultimately to the work of God. But on the other hand, it's somewhat a little. Weird, isn't it, that God would ask the people to give all of these things? And the reason I would say it's somewhat weird is every time these people need something, God provides it, right? They need food, He provides it. He provides it. Now, why then make the people, or at least leave it up to the people to bring it, why didn't God just provide it? If God needed the materials, why didn't God just provide the materials? Well, he kind of did, right? (laughs) He took them from the Egyptians, okay, right? right. But now he's going to have them give it. He could have just said, take a bunch of extra stuff and set it aside, right? He wants them willingly to give of the things that they have. However they provided it, even if God is the one who ultimately provided it, he still wants them to give it. I'm saying God could have said, hey... Over here is this, and over here is this. He could have just, or it could have just fell from heaven. Why do you think it's once again those situations where the people have to give? Because I think this is... If you, if you want a valuable spiritual lesson, this may be the most valuable spiritual lesson you're going to get for the next 17 hours as we work through measurements and materials, right? This is important. Why? Because isn't that always the question that people ask in regards to Christianity? Why? do the people have to give? Right? That's always a criticism about Christianity. It's always about money. It's always about money. It's a, why do the people have to give? Why do the people have to give? Why do the people have to give? Now, first of all, we know, not only is this established in the Old Testament, it's established in the New Testament. It should always be given willingly. It's never by force or manipulation. It's to be done willingly. But why is giving seeming? I mean, it's, it's being established right here. The first... Sanctuary being built is to be done by offerings. As Wilmington says, he has this paragraph here, because I think it's kind of funny the way he says this. He goes, uh, the tabernacle was the production of willing hands and hearts. God's house was financed by God's people, not through suppers, junk sales, or bingo parties. It was supposed to be done willingly. You don't have to manipulate and come up with some way to raise the money. You have to come up with some, well, oh we got to do this, or we got to have a car wash. Or we gotta, that's nonsense. Churches who do that, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Now the question is, though, why? Because if God is the one who can provide, the, the argument would be, well, then God would just provide what we need. We don't have to do anything. But somehow it's designed that the people have to give. Which again means the people then have to have money. All right, it's this all continual circle that raises lots of questions. But I think that there's a spiritual reason for it. Okay, what? Remember, we talked about a perpetual problem. What is the perpetual problem? Idolatry. Idolatry. Everyone identifies idolatry as that which is external to us, and I disagree with that estimation. The idol is us. So everything we have and everything we want, we do for what purpose? To serve self. I believe God has given one specific tool to fight this problem of, we can call it idolatry. There's another word we can call it. It starts with an S. Selfishness, which is a very part of idolatry, right? It's about you, 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 you. One of the very key things to go after this is to have then people have to give that which they could use for themselves. And this starts pretty early on, right? Pretty early on. Remember, there were two brothers. And they had to bring an offering. An offering. One brought an animal. Now, it's an, the animals were valuable at that point in time, right? They were very valuable. They provided meat. They provided possibly shelter, clothing. They could be used to bargain and purchase or or trade for other things. They were valuable. The other one brought things that he had grown, right? Which, once again, could be used for food. They were valuable. And then they would take these valuables, these things that were valuable to them, that could have benefited them, and they were to offer it to whom? Does God need the animal? Does God need the fruits and vegetables? So the the only explanation that makes any sense is it's not because God needs it, but because it goes immediately. It's the first thing. If you look through scripture, it's the very first thing given to combat our sinful nature. Our sinful nature always wants self, 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 self. Giving goes against that very nature. Is it going to fix it? No, but it's there to combat it, right? It's, it's almost like it's, the, it's where you go to work out against your own base natures. It's like the gym where you go to work out because your nature says, get what you want. Serve, what you, serve yourself. And this says, give. And so immediately for his sanctuary, the people are to give. And that's a whole lot of giving. A whole lot of giving. And I think that sets up uh, a very important uh, concept here. Uh, He he mentions a couple of verses. I haven't looked at these, so let's look at them and see what we find, all right? Go to Exodus 35. Let's just see what we find in all of these verses. Because I wasn't going to use Wilmington, but here we are using it. All right, Exodus 35, 5. Tell me what you find in Exodus 35, 5. If it's of any value, any helper means anything to us in regards to the subject that we're currently speaking of. What do we have? Okay, a willing, say a willing heart. Yeah, let, the- let them bring an offering. You have, but with a willing heart. Now, that, now the, what, To me, what's the hardest part in this? The willing heart. Anybody can give. Anybody can give. You can give out of what reason? Obligation. You can give actually to make yourself feel better. You can give to make yourself feel spiritual. You can give to make yourself feel superior. You can give because you've been manipulated or out of guilt or shame. The willing heart is the hardest thing to do. Because when you give, are you truly willing to do that? People are willing to do that until they get mad or get irritated or whatever, especially in a church setting. As soon as they get mad at the pastor, they're going to stop giving because now they're mad, right? Because they're going to give if they get. They're going to give if they get. And as soon as they don't get what they want, they stop giving. <laughs> okay, right? Okay, that's the way it works really quick that way, right? It works really, really quick, right? Okay. I'm going to give until you don't give me what I want, and then I'm not going to give. Because, I be, well, were you ever giving from a willing heart? Like, there's a lot we could talk about. That's a hard thing about the willing heart. All right, What's, uh, Exodus, that's Exodus 35, 5. Look at verse 21. Thirty-five, twenty-one. What's that? What's stated here? Okay. Once again, we have the same concept, right? And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation for all his service and for the holy garments. Now, please note, this is people willingly giving their money to that which has spiritual implications. This is seeking first God's kingdom, not their own, okay? Look, that's Exodus um, 35, 21. Look at verse 22. What's in, what's in verse 22? Yeah, and they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets, earrings and rings and tablets, uh, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. There's all your gold. There's all the gold being provided. They're taking ver- things that they have, things that they possess, things that they're wearing, and they're willingly giving it. Willingly giving it to the work of God. Uh, look at verse uh, twenty-nine. They brought a willing offering to the Lord. Everybody see that? Right. I think. Are you getting? A, are you getting the concept down here? All right. I'll read it. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Let me state it again. Giving, I know, I, look, I understand pastors, it's always such a self-serving thing, right? Well, on one hand, when the, when the pastor tries to preach on giving, it benefit. I mean, the pastor's just got to be willing to admit he, he's going to possibly benefit from it, right? But from a spiritual standpoint, the giving is designed for you spiritually. It's like fasting. What are you doing in fasting? You're denying yourself. I, I, so let me make whenever everybody wants to talk spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare and we like the Hollywood version of spiritual warfare, right? Like there's some demon and then we're, we grab our Bibles a sword and we quote a couple of verses and and it's dramatic and okay, that's not the true spiritual war is the war you fight with. Yourself, your nature. And there's two things God designed just it's, to me throughout Scripture to fight that nature. Giving. When you give, and you give to, for what purpose? Not necessarily to get. You're giving willingly to that which goes for God's purpose, God's work. Right? Not necessarily what you're going, It's not about you. But you have to deny yourself. And then the other one is fasting. Because there's nothing that will impact you more than going without food. right? And you're not fasting for health benefits. You're fasting for the main purpose of I'm going to not partake of physical food so that I can partake of spiritual. It's giving up food for God's word. It's giving up food for prayer. It's giving up food for a sermon. Now, most people view that as just insane. But that's the very thing that those, you want to go after your nature, take what you want to use for yourself and give it to someone else or give it to the work of God and deny yourself food for God's word. You're, now you're getting that. Now that's spiritual warfare. It's not Hollywood. It's not exciting. I would rather be like, in the name of Jesus, demon be gone. That, that, that can get me a couple of million views on YouTube. You're not going to get a couple of million views on YouTube by simply giving and going without food. Now, even some, you know, to be fair, some preachers will even turn that around and try to make that about them. Because, but guess what you're, and, that, and Jesus made it very clear about fasting and giving. What are the rules he imposed on fasting and giving? You can do it in private. That really ruins it, right? That really ruins it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so not even supposed to let anyone know that you're fasting. You're not supposed to let anyone know. That ruins it. Now you're not getting anything from it. Like from a physical, you're not, but how many times? I remember in Nebraska, I went to see a Christian band called Harvest, right? And I'll never forget that, I don't know how many times the singer said it. He probably said it 50 times in one night. I, I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And God showed me this. And, God, and he told us 50 times that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's like, um, did, where the scriptures tell you literally not to be doing this. Like he was going to make the whole thing about him. And because he fasted, now he had revelation, that, which now he could pass on to us unfortunate people who can't fast for 40 days. And The whole thing was just, I mean, that's, that's not the way it's about. In other words, he missed the whole point of fasting, right? The fasting is you don't do it to be seen because then that even goes against your pride. It goes, you always, people can't, people can't walk around the block without posting it on social media. 12, you know, I walked a mile today and you got to let the whole world know that you walked a mile. Nobody cares! But we got to let the world know. Oh, oh, I'm on a diet. We got to take a selfie with with our food, right? We got to let everyone know because we got to always let everyone know because we're going to make sure we get something out of it. If I got to exercise and I got to eat trash food, I want everyone to look up to me and think that I'm doing really great, right? Jesus comes along and says what? Because it's not about you. It's about, it's about, in a sense, you dying. So I just want you to know that once, once we start with just the construction and the building of the tabernacle, it's all being done by free will offerings of the people who don't even have homes, they're wandering around the wilderness. I'd be like, hey, 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 okay, we got to keep some money back because whenever we get into the land, we got to have some, we're going to need some things, right? I mean, right now we're wandering around in the middle of nowhere. At some point, I hope to have what? I, 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 I'll have some everything, right? But just whatever you want, whatever you need, right? You you think they would be like, hey, let's keep some of this stuff, right? We're going to need it. and then, And then like Wherever where they were going to do at that point in time, I'm just saying it's really interesting that these aren't people who are already well situated. They're the people who have no idea what the future is even going to look like, and we know that they have some worries and concerns about the future because when they get to the Promised Land and realize there's giants in the land, they're like, "Let's go back." And as soon as any time something goes bad, let's go back to Egypt, right? So we know that these aren't people walking around going, "Yeah, we got that." No, but yet they're the ones who have to be like, "Okay, All right, All right." Someone go get the stuff. Where are we going? We're going to offer an offering, and that's crazy. Look at number seven, uh, Numbers chapter seven. Uh, we don't have. To, oh, there's no way we can ex- expound this chapter. There's 89 verses. Okay. 89, this is probably whenever you do Bible reading and you get to number seven, you probably do something like this. <laughs> the end, all right? Okay, I read it. You can mark it off your list, okay? All right. I'm just going to read a couple of summaries. Everyone, everyone got number seven, numbers chapter seven open? Okay, just, just kind of skim it really quick. I, I just want you to at least be familiar with this chapter since this is a major section here. I'm not going to be able to read all of this, but we can get a couple of things. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of houses, their fathers, who were with the princes of the tribes and were over them, that were numbered, offered, and they brought their offerings. And you see all these offerings they start bringing? It's, It's basically... 80-something verses of offerings that are being brought to the tabernacle. Does everybody see all of that? Right? I mean... I mean, if it does anything? I mean, you you can just skim through it if you see something that jumps out. I'm not going to sit there and read all those names and all the offerings, but it's just a lot. I'm just going to read a couple of summaries here. Um, Worsby summarizes number seven this way: the longest chapter in Numbers deals with a generous offering brought by the leaders of the tribes just after their tabernacle was set up. Leaders certainly ought to set the examples in giving, uh, and these those men did. The gifts were identical, presented on twelve successive days, and yet in God's eyes the gifts were individual. If what what we give is from the heart, presented for God's glory, He sees it and will reward it in His own time. All right, and they they talk a little bit about it. Wilmington states number uh, he states or summarizes numbers chapter seven this way. Another precious truth involved in the tabernacle project was the fact that God personally observed each gift. Uh, which was given, no matter how small. This is dramatically brought out in number seven, where 12 tiny gold gold boxes of incense are given by 12 different individuals. In spite of the fact that the gifts were identical and inexpensive, God nevertheless acknowledged each person's gift. In other words, God sees the gifts. He sees what is given. But the point is, uh, so much of this is done willingly by the people giving. So this, everyone talks about the tabernacle, but that was, based, that was provided for by people giving. And, and I, and I want to make sure we make this very clear. God has set up giving as a way to combat what? Our selfishness. has set up fasting for what purpose? To combat our selfishness. Because we want things... We want to own things. We want financial security and stability. We want that. Yes? And I don't know. We usually like to eat. And God's like, here are two ways to combat it. And we don't typically, again, whenever people talk about spiritual warfare, they love, they want, they want, they want, okay, they don't want a book that gives you those two things. The, those things are boring, right? They want to know the name of demons, and they want, they, want, they want all this kind of supernatural fun stuff. This is just very basic stuff, but it gets us very close to the heart of the mass. So I really want us to understand that and take that cl- to heart, all right? Everybody got that? Okay, that's uh, 36 minutes of our time gone, but that, that gives us our first major spiritual principle. Now, let's start trying to develop some of the basic concepts here of the tabernacle, alright? I'm just gonna I'm gonna mention just some some so those are that deals with basically what? The materials and the provision for the tabernacle, if you want to, if you want to articulate it in that way. But those are key. You may want to circle all of that in your notes because that really sets up a major important part of all of this. Alright? But please note: this is the beautiful thing. The people gave for the tabernacle so the people are involved in this right they're still involved remember the ultimate tabernacle we don't do anything for that's christ right so right there just kind of shows this tabernacle the people are still very involved right so we, we, we could probably do something with that, all right? Now, just so, a couple of things here. Just remember, the tabernacle was a sanctuary where God dwelt amongst his people. We mentioned that numerous times, Exodus 25, 8. Just make sure you remember that. That's kind of a key verse. I'm going to make sure we repeat that over and over. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, All right. Okay, from the tabernacle, God speaks and guides them in their wilderness journeys. Look at Exodus 25, 22. And there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee and commandment unto the children of Israel. And then, uh, uh, then, well, we could go and look at some more scriptures, but just know he's going to dwell among them. He's going to, He's going to guide them. He's going to be there with them, right? From the tabernacle, right? So that, that I just want you to understand, this is a very significant thing for these people, right? And we, we've already discussed this to some level. Remember, we talked about the possibly three different tabernacles. Everybody remember those? What were the three? Provisional, synatic, and Davidic. All right, possibly three different tabernacles. We talked about that and looked at them. And that was a significant uh, part of our study. Remember, the tabernacle has a number of names. The tabernacle of the congregation, look at Exodus 27, 21. And remember, the reason we called it provisional, synatic, and Davidic is because uh, trying to separate them with these names don't work because the names are used all over the place, all right? Uh, Exodus, Exodus 27, 21. Do we have the tabernacle of the congregation there? Everybody see that? All right, according to at least one source, the tabernacle is called the tabernacle of the congregation 133 times. According to one source. By, am I saying that's dogmatic? No, we'd have to look that up, and I'm not going to do that right now, okay? All right, look at Exodus 38, 21. 133 times. Okay? Oh, the tabernacle of testimony. See that Exodus thirty-eight twenty-one. According to at least one source, it's used four times. We could probably verify that quicker, but that's okay. We won't do that right now, right? Tabernacle of the congregation one hundred and thirty-three times. Uh, the tabernacle of testimony Exodus thirty-eight twenty-one four times. Now this is probably all from the King James, so that you know other translations probably were going to be different. All right, look at number seventeen five. Number 175 Or I'm sorry, 177, I apologize. Number 177. The tabernacle of witness. This is used 5 times. The tabernacle of witness is used 5 times. All right, look at number 1713. What do we have in the number seventeen thirteen? Tabernacle of the Lord. This is supposedly used ten times. Okay. Alright, I said some of the uh, there'll probably be differences in the uh, in the translations. It's used how many times? Ten. ten. All right. Look at First Chronicles chapter six, and I believe it's verse forty-eight. First Chronicles chapter six. I'm a little I'm sus- a suspect of this one. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, I'm looking at this one. Look at verse 48, and what do you have? The tabernacle of the house of God. God. Everybody see that? Tabernacle of the house of God. This is used a whopping one time. (laughs) All right. Everybody have that? All right, so we have the tabernacle is called the tabernacle of the congregation, approximately in the King James, 133 times. The tabernacle of testimony in the King James, approximately four times. The tabernacle of witness, approximately five times. The tabernacle of the Lord, approximately 10 times. And the tabernacle of the house of God, one time, which is First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 48. And I at least gave you scripture for one for all of those, so if you if you need those, but we got that. All right? Getting us a little closer, Now we could try to pull the significance out of all of those names. We may work on that a little bit more, but at least know that that's what it's referred to. And it gives us some idea, right? The tabernacle of the congregation seems to emphasize what? I think it seems, to me, in my mind, it emphasizes, well, that the congregation is there, right? God is in the midst of the congregation, right? Remember the provisional one, where was he? Outside of, of them, and then the the the, the, the mosaic or the synatic, he's in the he's in the midst of them. All right, the tabernacle of testimony seems to indicate what? Possibly the law. Possibly, all right. The tabernacle of witness, the tabernacle of the Lord, the tabernacle of the house of God. they are all all of this emphasizes different aspects of maybe what the tabernacle is going to emphasize, and we we could take that apart. We could work on that. Okay, now when it comes to a description of the tabernacle. You may want to write these passages down. Exodus chapter 40 verses 1 through 8 offers a brief description of the tabernacle along with Hebrews 9, 1 through 5. A full description is found in Exodus 25 verse 10 to chapter 27 verse 19. So a brief description can be found where? Exodus 40, 1 through 8. We're going to read that in just a minute. And Hebrews nine one through five. A full description is in Exodus twenty five ten to twenty seven nineteen. Okay, so go to Exodus chapter forty. Let's at least get a brief description here. Okay. Everybody ready? All right, here we go. Exodus chapter forty, starting at verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, shall thou set up the tabernacle of the tent, a tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony, and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony. And put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle. Uh, of the tent of the congregation and thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and shall put water therein and thou shalt set up the court roundabout and hang up the hanging at the court gate. Alright? So there is a... Bri- now that all of that description seems to focus on what? The, mainly the... Starting with the inside and with the objects inside. Right? Does that seem fair? Okay? Now go to Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9 and again I'm just trying to cover as much of this as we as, as scriptures as we can now we could we could break down Exodus Uh, 40, one through 8, a little bit more. But you're just getting, it's focusing on objects, right? Whether you know what those objects are, it's just kind of focusing on the objects. It's not giving us much description of them. Not even really giving us a good idea exactly where they are, is it? It's just giving us some very basics. Hebrews 9, oh man, we can, okay. We're going to go ahead and read it. All right, but here we go. Then verily, Hebrews 9, starting in verse 1. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. But there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the ark of the covenant overlaid roundabout with gold, wherein was the gold pot, and had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing uh, the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Again, giving us some very basic concepts. Now, from the Hebrews passage, we do get kind of a... And I think in the Exodus passage, we do get an idea there seems to be two parts inside the tent, right? We don't really have a good idea of of everything, but we do seem to say that there's two parts. We do know that there seems to be uh, Aaron's rod but it is going to be there, and what else? The manna and the... Tables of the covenant, the law, all right? Seemingly to all be there, right? So we're, we're getting some basic idea, all right? Uh, we could go on. The tabernacle was composed of a court area within which was rectangular tent of the tabernacle itself, all right? Now, the only way to explain this is you can kind of see. We have the, this rectangular outside kind of tent, or not tent, fence, And then inside of that, the tent itself, right? So you got this outside part, and then inside is the tent itself, right? Well, we can, yeah, we'll break it down outer, inner, we'll we'll do that. Just you can get the basic concept, right? Basic concept. You got this fence around the whole thing, and then inside that fence is the tabernacle itself. Does that make sense? That's seemingly to be a, a major point here. Now, this is very important. Uh, look at Exodus 2540. Exodus 25:40. What do you find in Exodus 2540? You tell me. What do we find in Exodus 25? All right. It was made. This is very important. It was made according to a pattern that was shown to Moses. And that pattern was shown to him by whom? God. All right. Look at Exodus 2630. What does it say in 2630? All right, and that's two times in Exodus. It's specifically told that it's to be set up and put together according to the pattern God gave. They're not, they're not to make any what? Alterations. They're not to say, well, this would be better. Well, why are you putting it there? It's, like, it's not time for someone to come go, well, I don't like the color. Why is that put there? Well, shouldn't we move it over here? Nobody's allowed, just everyone has to be quiet. All right. Now there's a lot we could possibly do with that, but okay. Now go to Acts chapter seven, verse forty-four. Acts seven forty-four. What do we find here? Acts seven forty-four. Okay, not Exodus. I'm sorry, if I did, if I said Exodus, I apologize. Okay. Acts seven forty-four. What do we find here? All right, all right. This is, this is emphasized multiple times. Just want you to say the design and construction is to be done according to God's plan. There was no, this was no room for anyone to come along and change anything. All right? This is the way God designed it. Now, this sets up a major theological issue here, right? We've talked about this before. There are two philosophies that govern how churches operate. What are these two philosophies that govern how the church operates? And these two philosophies, philosophies have been at war for 2,000 years in church history. The regulative principle and the normative. What is the difference between the regulative and normative principle? Whoever gets this right gets $3,000 okay. from someone else. Okay. The what? Okay. Clearly condemns. All right, so the regulative, you can only do what is specifically outlined in scripture. You've got to have a clear command to do it or a clear example. If you don't have it, you don't do it. Now, what's weird is a lot of people don't follow the regulative principle, but then we will turn around and condemn what other churches do. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you condemning? You have potlucks, you have get-togethers, you have church picnics. You do a Is any of that in Scripture? No, it's not. But then if they see a video of, of a pastor ziplining into the sanctuary, they're like, what are they doing? Well, wh- what do you mean? If you can do your nonsense, they can do their nonsense. So then it's a battle over whose nonsense is nonsense. Nobody ever thinks to go, well, wh- what's wh- whose principles at work? Because churches do all kinds of stuff. There's nothing in Scripture about half the things they did. I was watching the other day. Uh, there was a video. Take, it was inside a church. It was a sanctuary, and then they had—I don't know what those things are called. Those kind of cars they make for Iwana, with soapbox. What are they called? You know what I'm talking? Yeah, the, whatever those—they yeah. make those little wooden cars, and then they—they they had a big track set up inside the sanctuary of the church racing these cars for Iwana, and then on the back of the sanctuary, there was a big American flag. None of that is in the Bible anywhere. Not to have car races for kids inside the church. That's not church. That's nothing to do with church. There's nothing. But I guarantee you, that same church, if someone had a dance team, They'd be like, how dare they do that? Wait, 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 wait. If you can race cars, then I can have a dance team. Right? If you can race cars, then I can have a draw. Where do you draw the line? The regulative principle says what? Unless I, you can show me clear command or example, you don't do it. And I can find a clear Example in scripture, when they tried to eat in the church, they got told to go home and eat. But if I t- pull that up, people are like, how dare you do that? It's perfectly okay to have a meal at church. Paul got Paul told them to go home. What did he say? Don't you have houses to eat in? Oh, but churches will do. it. It's just not, it's so not. On one hand, they'll be like, you can't do that. But on the other hand, they're, it's like, No, there's got to be a a rule. And the regulative principle eliminates pretty much everything. Other than what? Preaching, praying, singing. (laughs) That's about it, right? And the ordinances, right, the ordinances, right. I mean, there's not not much else. Now, the normative principle says what? As long as there's not a scripture condemning it, You can do whatever you want. You want interpretive dance? Go for it. You want a pastor zip lining? Go for it. You want to have the American flag and patriotism? Go for it. You can do whatever you want. Now, a lot of people will be like, I can't handle the normative principle. But they operate in the normative principle anyway. Very few people operate in a regulative way. Very few. Church of Christ t- used to be very regulative principle. Very, 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 all right? But like, and many churches, um, at least within the sanctuary, ca- Catholics hold to very strict rules in the, in the sanctuary. Very, there's canon law. Where, where you put a candle, where you put in, everything is governed by canon law. You, you got Now, outside of the sanctuary, they may allow other things, but I, it's just insane. But here, at least we, I'm not saying this proves regulative or normative. I'm just saying at least as far as the tabernacle was concerned, <laughs> it was regulative, okay? There was no normative going on. Was there any, any changing happening there? Could they have a lock-in in the tabernacle? Could they play capture the flag in the tabernacle? No, none of the stuff that I watched have growing up in church, right? Like some of the stuff going on inside the sanctuary, I'm like, what is happening what is happening here? What, what is this? Okay. Well, well, that's the temple. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah the temple, they, they go crazy with it. They go full normative principle. They, they, they go, I don't even know what principle they go to by the time you get to the temple, right? But just note, it's very con- controlled, is it not? Right? So just note that the construction of it, the building and design, was according to the pattern God gave. And there was no changing it. There's no changing it. And and it's just, all I say, if you're going to be one of those people who are going to look at what other churches do and condemn it, you then better figure out which principle you're operating from. Because don't be pointing the finger at other people, saying how dare they do that in the church when you're not following the regulative principle. Then you better just operate under the normative. And everything that's not condemned is allowed. And, but the minute you say that, then someone's going to be like, well, cool. <laughs> We're going to do it. And you're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. Once you open the door, it's all open, okay? Isn't it weird how everyone thinks that what they do in the church is always right? Because they don't, when you, go, ask most Christians who go to church, are you, is your church regulative or normative? What do you think most Christians are going to say? They don't even have a clue what you're talking about. They don't even have a clue what you're talking about. All right, now. We're going to do this really quick. I'm going to see if you can, oh, we're already at time, time out. All right, or, well, time out. We're already at time up. Okay, all right, here we go. Go to, just quickly, look at Exodus 25. Go with Exodus 25, verses 1 through 7, I believe. Is that the offering in 1 through 7? I'm going from memory, right? Okay, what happens in Verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I, that I may dwell in. Okay, and then what does he do um, in verse 9? Pattern, pattern, okay, so the pattern's there. And then what's in verse 10? Yeah. Starts talking about the ark, right? Yeah. Okay, but he starts with the ark. Okay. The ark is dwells where in the tabernacle, holy of, holy of holies. You see, you already know that, but it dwells in the middle. Now, go to really quick, jump to Exodus twenty-seven, verse sixteen and seventeen. What's being spoken of now? They're getting closer to the end of all of this information. This is one of the gates to the entrance of the court, right? Everybody see 27, 16 through 17? Okay, you're now outside of the sanctuary, right? Okay, now, at least one source makes a big deal out of this. They say when you start looking at the description of the tabernacle, it starts inside the sanctuary and works its way out. It doesn't start out and work its way out. And they say that seems odd because you think you would start outside and move yourself in. And this is what they write in in regards to this. The description of the tabernacle in Exodus 25-27 through begins with the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place and ends with the gate entrance into the court. Thus the description begins with God. It is described from God's perspective rather than man's. This is always the correct perspective. God is the heart and soul of creation and of life, so to speak. And when we put God first, everything else falls into its rightful place. The first law is to have no other gods before God. To put God anywhere but absolute first place is to commit idolatry. Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, promising that all these things would be added to us if we do. So he st- so it starts, the construction the, of the tabernacle and the description and the design starts with who's designing it? God. And it starts with the ark where God dwells. It starts with God. So in other words, that the design and the construction, in a sense, at least the way it's being explained, and we we do got to be somewhat careful with this, but it is interesting that it doesn't start outside, it starts inside. So where do you start? The focus on all of this is on whom? God. This is all focused on God. And so our worship, so if we wanted to, we could argue that our worship is to be designed and controlled by God and it is to be focused on God. Now I am not saying we can make dogmatic assertions based off this, but we do know this when it comes to the tabernacle, we can't say this. It was designed by God and the focus of it was God. Now, does that translate to the church? You could argue it should. Because I know this, the Bible begins with the focus on whom? God. And it ends with God, okay? So I've I got a pretty good textual argument that everything should be about God. But it is very hard to make the church about God, is it not? It really is. Because it takes only a couple of seconds that it becomes about us. And did it take very long for Israel to make it about them? It did not take them long. And do we sit there and look down upon them? No, because they're just like us. It should be about God. God should be designing what we do. God should be the focus. But we want it about us, 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 us. Very little about church ever becomes about God. It really becomes about us. I mean, people judge a church based off what? What they like. What they feel, what they want. What are you gonna do for me? What am I getting out of it? I don't like this, I don't like that. We we're quick with what we like and what we don't like. Where it's all we 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 come to church as like we're going to the Golden Corral buffet. And and you better have something that you like. Some people want the music to be the way they want it. Some people want this to be the way. They want this. They want the sermon to be designed a certain way. Everyone's got their wants. And so it's so weird that we tend to leave church focused on whom? Us. And that goes from the person behind the pulpit to the people in the pew. Everyone tends to leave church focused on us. I don't know how we fix that. I don't know if we can ever fix that. Because for 2,000 years, nobody's been able to figure out how to fix it. Because we inevitably make everything about us. In fact, remember those two brothers? They had a given offering. And the whole offering was to make it not about them. And it did not take long that one of them made it about them. And why did they make it about them? because God didn't accept what they brought. And they weren't happy about it. So they said, okay, God, you want blood? I'll give you blood. And then he cut his brother's throat as a sacrifice, basically. In a roundabout way, we basically tell God, we want this, and if you don't give me what I want, well, I'm going to do what I want. And that, sadly what church has become. It's a place for people to get what they want. And if they don't get what they want, they will go find a place to get what they want. And, I, and always, we always do it as if we are the justifiable ones. Like, you can almost feel like Cain played like he was the victim. We always think we're the victim. Because church doesn't give me what I want. Do it my way! And if you don't get your way, you're going to go get your way. But you'll walk away thinking, I'm the good guy. Okay. Well, I don't know. Because you're not supposed to be the one designing it, right? Meaning, there's, there's, if you just think about it, if it's never really about you, you can almost then guarantee there's going to be things that you don't always like. And maybe it's supposed to be that way. Because if giving goes after self, and if fasting goes after self, what's another thing that should be an enemy against self? Church. Because you're not supposed to be deciding what's preached. You're not supposed to be, like, it's supposed to be not about you. And and whenever people make a complaint, you know the question I always ask, I always use the uh, pierces as the example because I've been here forever, so I'm always like, well, if I give you what you want, you've been here 13 minutes. What if the Pierce's don't like it? And do you think I ever get an answer? Meaning they don't even care. If, if they're happy, they don't care if you're happy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. They've been here since the beginning. You've been here for 15 minutes. Who should I care more about? From a human perspective, maybe the people who've been here from the beginning, but they don't care. Give me what I want. And if they don't get it, they're gone. And do they care what happens to the pierces? No. And it's kind of like, that just kind of makes church, like it just shows us what it's really about. In their case, (laughs) there's no, if, if you offer the wrong thing, I don't know, maybe you could get me consumed by fire, Look which does happen, right? Like it doesn't quite, like they didn't have a lot of ways to mess with it, where we do, but sometimes it makes us, how can we keep it about God? And I don't know the answer, I don't know the answer. Because it's hard to, for me to keep it about God and not make it about me. It's hard for you to, make, to keep it about God and not about you. It's hard for all of us. But at least here in the sanctuary, it's got to be built by its design and from the very explaining it, it starts with God. It doesn't start with men. It doesn't start with the, the committee got together and this is what they came up with. No, it's like, here's what this is and this is built this way and with this wood and with this and with this and with this and, with this, and nobody, nobody else's opinion matters. Man. Wouldn't it be great if we could do church that way? But it's hard. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening as we start uh, this journey through the design and construction. Help us see these very important concepts. Make it convict us and challenge us. And Lord, forgive everyone in this room because we're all guilty of it. We have so often made everything about us and so little about you. Forgive us for that. And we are grateful that in spite of that fact, you sent your son to tabernacle among us so that we could be saved and we could dwell with you for all eternity. And we thank you for that. And when it's in his precious name we pray. And God's people said.